You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com. Through him, God was pleased to reconcile all things to himself, whether on heaven or on earth, through the blood of his cross. Amen. In the name of God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Y'all can have a seat. Good morning, Resurrection. Good morning. Everybody. You know, we, we went and got more chairs. We tried. Happy Feast of the Reign of Christ today. If you're, if you're new here, um, or if you're new maybe to the, the ancient church and the liturgical calendar, if you have no idea what I just said and you're new, that's fine. Uh, we have excuses to party just about every, for every reason uh, in the gospel. And tonight, or today, we actually are partying because Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father as king over everything on heaven and on earth. And there's nothing outside of his view, nothing outside of his scope. He has a comprehensive, all-encompassing reign over the earth. Amen. Amen. So that, I mean, if there's not a reason to party, like if that's not a reason to party, we got nothing to party about, right, as Christians? So that's why we party. That's why we, you can't even see me because of the incense. That's why we got the white robes. This is the final week of the Christian calendar. This is it. It's not New Year's. No, this is it. And then next week, we switch to purple. Does anyone know what's the next week that we're going to celebrate? Advent 1. We begin preparing. We start the whole thing over again. We do this every time, every year. We prepare for the, the one that God is sending for our sake. So this is kind of where we're at. This feast day is actually relatively young. It was put together in 1925 by Pope Pius XI. Um, and th- I thought this was really interesting, the reasoning behind, some of the rationale behind why he implemented this feast and and the rest of Christendom adopted it with him. This is why he observed that through and after World War I, Christians all over the place were actually participating, really uncritically participating, co-opted into ungodly dictatorships. Ways of doing power in the world that actually worked against the way that God does power in the world. And Christians were kind of like, well, this is our country, so I guess this is what we do. And so um, the Pope at the time and Christian leaders throughout the world thought it was actually a really good idea to remind Christians of their true allegiance, who they are, whose they are, and what kingdom they're actually a part of. Yikes. What a timely party, you know? It's good for us. Our identity must not be confused in the world. We're citizens of heaven and God's kingdom, right? So this is what we celebrate this morning. The scriptures, they call us into this kind of reality check. If you're listening, um, those are fighting words, as y'all Texans would say. Y'all Texans. You can say that, right? You know what I'm saying. Did you hear Jeremiah's reading? I mean, that is is the way God picks fights with people who abuse uh, his people, his flock, uh, the shepherds, the leaders who are abusing his people. And if you ever get confused, or if you're ever wondering about who is really in charge, God speaks really clearly through Jeremiah just to remind us who's in charge and what's at stake. And in particular, there's something really qualitatively different about the way that God does power compared to maybe the ways that you and I see power used and exercised in the world. God does power just really differently. You might think like, well, how can you do power different? I don't even understand what that means, John. Isn't, there, isn't power just for coercion and manipulation and getting people to do what you want? Isn't it basically just use of influence? Well, 
No, actually. And uh, in this series that we've been doing, and now we're concluding called Thy Kingdom Come, we're looking particularly at the way that God does power and what that means for us, and then how we live in the world accordingly. So starting with Jeremiah, let's Let's jump right in. Actually, let me tell you this story. My sister, um, she, I had an older sister. She was the kind of sister that um, when I read Jeremiah like that, I for some reason think of my sister. She's this Latina, you know, elderly sister who has this like thing for her little brothers. She's got three of us. And uh, I was uh, three years behind her. So she was a senior in high school. I was a freshman. And one time, I mean, I got harassed all the time. And it's usually my fault because, you know, I was just a punk kid. But any time that someone messed with me, put me in a locker, threw me in the trash or something, I mean, that happens, right? <laughs> My sister would come around the corner with that kind of look in her eye. Didn't matter who it was. It didn't matter how big the dude was. My sister came around the corner with that look in her eye like, are you messing with my little brother? And they kind of like cockroaches, they all scatter. <laughs> right? And that's kind of the image that we get with God in Jeremiah. He's looking at these people who he has placed in power to shepherd his flock and they have abused and neglected his people. And so he comes around the corner saying, are you messing with my people? Do you really want to go to war with me? This is what Jeremiah's message is for us this morning. So if you're a leader, if you're a shepherd, if you have influence over anybody in your life, watch out. These people are not your own. They belong to God. Yikes. So we hear this warning from Jeremiah. It's been so good to hear the prophets lately just to be put in place. This isn't a fight you want to pick with God. Did you notice that in the readings, in fact, God makes this point really clear. These are not your people. He says things like, this is my pasture, my sheep, my people, my flock. Four times to emphasize whose this really is. He says, you haven't kept your eye on them, so I am keeping my eye on you, the Lord says. And instead of sending somebody else to do the work that, I mean, he's tried. He sent prophets, he sent kings, he sent judges, he sent all of these people. And no one could quite get it right. So finally, God resolves to do it himself. He says this. Can I read this from Jeremiah 23? Now remember, this is like a long time before Christ. So when Christ comes on the scene, you can kind of picture a whole bunch of people going, wait a second, this sounds familiar. Jeremiah 23.3, he says this, Then I myself will gather the remnants of my flock out of the lands where, I, I have, where you have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold. They shall be fruitful and multiply like he originally wanted. I will raise up shepherds over them who will shepherd them, and they shall not fear any longer or be dismayed, nor shall any be missing, says the Lord. The days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up for David, a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king. He shall deal wisely and shall ex execute justice and righteousness in the land. This is how God himself, I myself, is going to come and set things right. So far, so good, right? We're all like, okay, that sounds pretty good. You guys with me on that? That's beautiful. I mean, that's really beautiful. It depends on what side of this you're on, right? Um, if you're the ruler who God is coming to reckon with, that should scare you pretty thoroughly. But we're all there. How? This is a question, I think. Or maybe the better question is, okay, God, we hear you, but, but who? Who's that righteous branch that you're going to send to do this perfect, kingly, justly, righteous ruling and reigning in the world? Who? This righteous branch. 
He gives us a detail, a descendant of David, to gather up the flocks and set things right. God himself, we know this. This is about what we're going to get ready to participate and celebrate for. This is what we're preparing for next week. God himself would be born into the world. Not going to send somebody else this time. God himself is coming as a righteous king, dealing wisely and justly in the land. This is Jesus, friends. This is Jesus who is coming. This is the one who all the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in. This is really God himself coming into the world to execute justice and righteousness, to gather up his people, those of you who have been scattered and abused and stepped on and neglected and marginalized and beaten. God himself is saying, I am coming. I'm coming to gather you up. Amen. It's better, Colossians says it well. Paul writes it perfectly. He says this in verse 20. We heard this is this ancient Christological hymn is beautiful. This is one of my favorite passages in, in scripture. Talking about this one who would come, this Jesus says this, through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things. Nothing's left out. Through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on, on earth or in heaven. How? Oh, we know how. You come and you smash a bunch of people and you like, um, you, you kind of weasel your way into the right circles. You, you, you gain access to quite a bit of wealth, maybe some territory. We know how, right? We see it all the time. We don't even have to read the rest, right? We're good? By making peace through the blood of his cross? Has that ever struck you? This is how God does power. This is how God himself is going to reckon with the world and set things right. Not through this kind of imperial domination as we might conceive of it, at least not yet, but first through the blood of his cross. Some strategy, right? Think about this. What would the pundits have to say about that? You're going to die? That's not going to work. This king, he didn't come negotiating. He didn't have some sort of like counsel for advice about what's going to be the best way to do this, guys. He didn't huddle up with anybody. He didn't come full of diplomacy. And in fact, his leadership in a lot of ways would have been really jarring to us because he wasn't afraid of making enemies at all. In fact, he made lots and lots of enemies. He kind of made an enemy out of the entire world. He made the right enemies, you could say. His way of power wasn't afraid, and this is so different from the ways that we know it's in the world. His way of power wasn't afraid to suffer. Wasn't afraid to suffer, even to the point of death. He wasn't really concerned with what worked whether or not he was going to throw his privileges away. or he, he was, That wasn't really in view for him. It's, you see the difference? This is like wildly different from what we're familiar with. His way of making peace led directly through the cross. What an image. And while he hung there, people taunted him for a show of force. Show, show your power. Did you hear what they said? If you're really in power, save yourself. Are you crazy? Do something. Shock and awe or something. I mean, show of force. Give us something. No show of force. Quietly suffering. Maybe his show of force was including this criminal into the kingdom of God quietly when no one saw. How's that for a show of force? He hung there. 
dying slowly on this cross, usually of suffocation because of their body weight. They weren't able to hold themselves up. Asphyxiation. In great pain. Yet all the while, totally unthreatened. Can you put that paradox together? Because he entrusted himself to his heavenly father. There was nothing that could threaten his kingdom. It was not under attack. It was actually quite the opposite. Hanging on the cross, he gave kingly pronouncements. As someone, as a ruler who is enthroned in power, he gave pronouncements of forgiveness, like a king would, over those who were putting him up there, who were killing him. Those who drove nails into his hands had no idea that they were enthroning the righteous king upon his throne. Those who set up and hoisted the cross and lifted it up were lifting high the Lord of lords for all of the nations to see. Surprise. (laughs) What an unexpected twist. This great cross that our sins, and this isn't something they did, this great cross that our sins constructed, our hatred planted it in the ground on Golgotha. This great cross in and through Jesus Christ became a great tree of refuge for sinners, for the lost, for those who are far off, for the enemies of God, the widows, orphans, the hurt, those who mourn, those who are lonely, those who call out for God for help. Lord, come quickly. Have you ever been in a moment like that? This great tree extends its branches over you. This, friends, do you picture this? This is how God does power at the cross. This is our God. This isn't some other story that we get to look to and say, well, that's nice. No, this is our God. This is the God that has breathed life into you and is present even now with us this morning. And in baptism, this is the cross that we come under, that great cross. In baptism, we come under, we actually participate in. Paul says we're joined, we're unified, united with that cross. When we come to the waters, we are immersed into the death of Christ with him at the cross and brought to new life in his resurrection. That's what baptism is all about this morning. Friends, if that's true, and let's not just do churchy talk thing, but if that is actually true, if in baptism we enter into the way God does power and the forgiveness of sins, entering into his death and his resurrection, if this is true, that changes absolutely everything for every single person in this room, doesn't it? If that's the way God does power and now we are part of it, we are subject to it, now all of our lives are subject to this way of doing power in the world, that changes utterly everything. To be a Christian means that we live our lives under that great cross. That everything in our lives, everything in our mind, everything we're stressed about right now, that is actually all subject to the cross of Christ. And we have to make that decision at some point to say, I'm I'm actually going to just cooperate with being one of Christ's subjects. And that's what we are focusing on today. The reign of Christ. If Christ is king, that means that no one else is. You're not. I certainly am not. We are as people. We are as subjects. This changes everything. Baptism. I like to think of the sacraments in in kind of funny ways this way, but baptism to me seems like this kind of coup d'etat of power. This is the subversive act of the church saying, Caesar is not king, he's not Lord, Christ is, and we've entered into his family and into his power. 
A new ruling faction is being put in place that will never be shaken again. The reign of Christ, the King, begins even here in our lives in South Austin. So be careful, folks. We're going to go through the rest of this service, and there's many instances in which you're going to have to pledge your allegiance to this Christ, to this King. When we stand and proclaim the creed at the baptismal font, that's exactly what you're doing, saying, this is what I believe. This is the family that I'm a part of. Christ is King. When we confess together our sins, we're taking ourselves off of that throne. We're actually joining with the cross of Christ and asking for God's mercy. This is what we're doing when we confess sin. We're coming under the authority and the power of God. At the table is a perfect example of when we come and submit to this righteous king who doesn't exclude us any longer, but actually draws us to himself and includes us in the life of God himself. We are now his children, adopted through the waters of baptism, feeding at his table. Friends, the cross calls to the broken and the lost and the sinful, those stuck in darkness. If you hear that calling this morning, if you hear that nudge in your own heart to come to the cross, to come to Jesus, confess your great need for him. Cooperate with that. Go with it. Go with it. Confess your great need for him. Turn away from the sin and death that you've been so easily entangled into again and again and again and come to the waters with us. Come to the one who can take it all away and restore your life. If that's you, in Christ the King, you will find no greater King. You will find no greater Heavenly Father. This is the one you're looking for. Go with it. Cooperate, finally. Come under the refuge and the shelter of the cross. Receive the forgiveness of sins that he won for you at great suffering. That you, that all of us would be brought into his glorious light, never left to darkness again. Amen? All of us, there's so many of us that have, have done this. So refreshing to hear. This is what we decided when we, when we surrendered our life to Christ, was to come under his, the care of his cross. If this is you, um, you can, there's a card in your prayer book. There's a place to say, I've made a decision to follow Jesus. That's an easy way to do it. You can come find me or Father Perry and tell us. There's folks praying after you, Chris. There's all kinds of people that are available for you uh, that we want to help you. We want to pray with you and assist you as you make this decision. It's not just kind of a one and done thing. This is a long lifetime journey of following Jesus, and we have to decide every day to follow him. So let us help you do that. This morning, uh, church, resurrection, we baptized several of our own kids. This message couldn't be more appropriate for a baptism of our own children in this church family. Amen? Amen. May we, as God's people, may we, may we renew our allegiance to Christ the King. And when we renew our vows, may we become the kinds of people all the more fully who do power the way Jesus does power. Not the way that the world trains us to do power. Doing what works. Putting our identity aside just to get something done. Let's do power the way Jesus does power. May we lead those in our lives, our families, our coworkers, our friends, may we lead them as Christ leads us, is what I'm saying. Y'all hear that? You with me? That's the invitation. Dealing out the goodness of God as if there's no bottom to that, as if it doesn't run out. Extending grace when people don't deserve it. Offering forgiveness when it's so difficult to do. Even in the face of violence, extending forgiveness, just as Jesus did. Instead of revenge, may we show mercy. Instead of wickedness and frustration and, and anger, 
Let's remember that once we were enemies of God and needed forgiveness and needed mercy and needed grace, and God extended that to us. So we are now that extension to others. That's what it looks like to participate in the kingdom of God. May our community resemble that kingdom on this feast day of Christ the King. Let us, therefore, become, continue to become the people that we already are through baptism, those who are subject under the reign of Christ. Amen? You're listening to Resurrection South Austin, a community of faith, learning to do life together in the goodness of God. For more information, you can find us online at resaustin.com.